0: Hi, I'm your host, Talia Badoncelli, and you're watching TheAnalysis.News. Today I'll be interviewing Mikey Weinstein, the founder of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by going to our website, TheAnalysis.News, and hitting the donate button at the top right corner of the screen. You can also get onto our mailing list, that way you're always updated every time a new episode drops. And don't hesitate to like and subscribe to the show wherever you watch or listen to your podcasts, be it on Spotify, Apple, or our YouTube channel, The Analysis Hyphen News. See you in a bit with Mikey Weinstein. Joining me now is Mikey Weinstein. He is the founder of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization in the U.S., dedicated to the constitutional right of religious freedom in the U.S. Armed Forces. He also formerly served as an officer in the U.S. Air Force. He is a lawyer and served as White House counsel to the Reagan administration for three years. He's the author of numerous books, including With God on Our Side and No Snowflake in an Avalanche. Thank you so much for joining me today,
1: Mikey. Nice to be here, Talia. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, I wanted to start off by speaking about the really daunting issue of the rise of Christian nationalism in the military. We could actually go back to the attack on the Capitol on January 6, 2021. And what's really interesting is how there's an overrepresentation of people with military experience among the people who were arrested or actually charged on that day. Out of the 721 people who were charged. Approximately 80 of them actually have former military experience, and arguably a lot of them would be espousing some sort of Christian nationalism or even dominionist ideology. So the reason I bring this up is because Biden following one Six, had a national security strategy, which was supposed to counteract domestic terrorism. And in this strategy, Christian nationalism wasn't really explicitly mentioned. So what do you think of how this strategy is currently being implemented? Is it actually able to prevent proselytizing in the military?
1: It's terrible. It's uh, not if if you if you fortified it a hundred times more, no, a thousand times more, it would then become a paper tiger. That's how bad it is. Uh, The defense secretary, Austin, has stated he wanted to be the lodestar, his word, not mine, for racial and religious diversity in the military. It doesn't exist. Let me make it clear to the viewers of this. Fundamentalist Christian nationalism is inextricably intertwined into the very DNA of the Pentagon, or as we call Italia, the Pentecostal God. Um, It is everywhere. And um, it is a very, most people don't understand that the culture of the military is very different than the civilian culture. Um, Your military superior and boss is not your boss, your, your shift manager at Starbucks, Taco Bell, or your manager at IBM. Um, they have complete and total control over your life. Uh, The military has its own criminal code, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which includes um, it can be a felony to have sexual intercourse with someone other than your spouse, adultery. Um, Failure to be ordered to go to the base dentist at 1600 or 4 p.m. and you don't go, that can be a felony. Why is that? Because the U.S. Supreme Court, um, way back in 1974, made it clear that the compelling governmental interest in the military for the First Amendment is not what an American like I have, which is a full panoply, but it's much more focused on maximizing um, the you know, uh, unicohesion, good order, morality, and discipline, and the health and safety of the troops and mission accomplishment. So uh, obviously, unicohesion is torn apart by things like adultery, et cetera. So in the military, if you're even being gently proselytized, Talia, by your military superior, Get the hell out of my face, sir, or ma'am. It's not an option for you. So they come to us. We're a very militant and aggressive organization. We represent over eighty-five thousand members of the military as well as veterans. About ninety-five percent of our clients are actually practicing Christians that are being brutalized by their chains of command, Talia, for not being Christian enough. And why does this matter? I mean, Christian nationalism is terrible in, you know, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, colleges. It's terrible in police forces. Uh, the sewage workers, firefighters, legislatures, but none of them have nuclear weapons or other weapons of mass destruction. They don't have drones. They don't have conventional weapons. They don't have laser-guided weapons. The U.S. military represents the technologically most lethal organization ever created in the history of our species. And um, Christian dominionism, and particularly nationalism, is, is like I said, it's in the very air conditioning of um of our US military, and uh, we've been screaming about this since we started the early 2000s. We were not at all surprised when January 6th hit because we know that what animated that was Christian nationalism and the, the significant percentage of, uh, of former, current, and retired military veterans and others, some of them active duty, who were there. Um, the, the best way I can describe this is by showing you something, your viewers. This is a book, ironically, The Handmaid's Tale, right? by Margaret Atwood, which talks about Gilead, a future society that is a fundamentalist Christian um, society. The Hulu series was amazing. Let me try to explain to you how extant and ubiquitous fundamentalist Christianity is in our U.S. military. Behold a pen. Halia, why did it fall? Gravity. Yes, how ubiquitous is gravity on planet Earth?
0: It's everywhere within the ozone layer.
1: That's the um, example we use to show exactly where fundamentalist Christian nationalism unchecked is in the U.S. military. I hope that helps answer the question a little bit.
0: Well, why don't we make this distinction between Christian nationalism and dominionism? I mean, some, some viewers would know the difference, but I think dominionist ideology goes a step further than Christian nationalism, and it believes that the Armageddon is about to come, that non-believers will be swept up in a sort of rapture that, you know, everyone else besides Christians or evangelical Christians will be killed, which includes Muslims and Jews. Um, So how do you know to what extent dominionists are actually in the military?
1: Well, let me, I don't want to get wrapped up in too much of the vernacular, but there's something called the New Apostolic Reformation, the Seven Mountains Mandate, Dominionism. When we use Christian nationalism, we are basically forging all of those together. And you're quite right to mention Christian eschatology, the end times from the Book of Revelation, singular, not plural. And someone tells you, "I follow Revelation," so that they're already wrong because it's there's no s on the end. Christians, uh, fundamentalist Christians, are promised um, the Battle of Armageddon. That's why they want uh, Israeli hegemony in the Middle East. That way, they'll be a, serve as a uh, an accelerant and lubricant. Um, uh, to bring back, you know, their version of warrior weaponized Jesus, and they're promised a 200 mile long river, four and a half feet deep, filled with nothing but the blood of their um, of their uh, enemies that Jesus has slain in this Battle of Armageddon. And, and again, about four and a half feet high, 200 mile river. That's a great graphic, isn't it? And so Christian eschatology is filled with that, and that is what again animates this this hellscape. Is what they want. There's a new movie that we are in called um, Praying for Armageddon. Have you seen it yet? Uh, it's not out, I, but they just had its American premiere. Uh, the international premiere was March 22nd in um, Copenhagen, uh, Toronto, uh, was a place not unknown to you, I know, is where the North America premiere was, I think, in May. And I just went back to the Hamptons in New York, um, October 8th, I believe it was Sunday, October 8th, if I have the date correctly, uh, was the American uh, premiere. Uh, It's a 97-minute-long movie. Both Colonel Wilkerson, who's on our advisory board, big supporter of ours, and myself appear in that movie for a total of about nine minutes. And it's filled with praying for Armageddon. This is what our military, many people in the military, obviously not everybody, but many want to have happen. Remember, in the military, there's a distinction between officers and enlisted. When you graduate from a military academy like I did, the Air Force Academy, or or my dad, the naval academy. And you come out as a, an ensign or a first a second lieutenant, you already outrank ninety percent of the military, Talia, because you're an officer. You got to remember that only about seven percent of Hitler's constituency was initially part of the National Socialist Movement. Stalin had like three point two percent, so it do, you don't need that, that that the big 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 numbers because you have the command structure that's there. What we're dealing with now, ever since the day before the American premiere of Praying for Armageddon, again you can Google it. They're working on a distribution deal, how that was eight years in the making. The day before is, of course, when the attack between Hamas, Hamas attacked Israel. And we're dealing right now with military superiors that are gleeful and telling that to their subordinates who can't say anything back without facing, again, reprisal, retaliation, revenge, um, saying that this is is exactly what the playbook says. Rejoice. Blood is coming. Or is the great movie, right? With Daniel Day Lewis, there will be blood. And uh, how do you deal with something like that? It's very, very difficult. Uh, We obviously, you and I were talking before the interview, the situation between Hamas and Israel is extraordinarily complicated. Hamas is a hideous terror organization that wants genocide for the Jews and to destroy all of Israel. At the same time, the Israel of today is not the Israel back in, you know, when they were attacked in 57 or 56, the Yom Kippur War, 73. um, and I can go on. It's extremely complicated. However, you know, human beings are human beings. And we've always felt in this foundation that a two-state solution would be best and that Palestinians are entitled to full you know, human rights. Israel has a right to protect itself uh, against an organization like Hamas. But, but the whole concept of what's happening there, you take it up to 50,000 feet and I look down, the fundamentalist Christian nationalists or the dominionists, those who follow the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, the Seven Mountains Mandate, are licking their chops because this is a sign that their version of, again, warrior Jesus, some leaders have said that Jesus will be on a white horse with a sword leading the attack. Others say it's not going to be a sword. It'll be an AR-15. I can't make this stuff up. So it's very hard to be living in this situation, and our job is to work 25-8 around the clock, 365 days a year, and every fourth year, 366 days of leap year to fight against this. And the only way you can fight against it is much right out of Machiavelli's The Prince. When you aim at The Prince, Talia, you better kill The Prince.
0: Well, I think a lot of these dominionists would have their allegiances with their version of Jesus or God and not with the U.S. Constitution. So even in the case of Israel, they wouldn't be advocating... Israel to defend itself within the context of international law and and international humanitarian law. But they would probably say that, you know, this has been played out in different versions of the Bible and that this is something that's supposed to be coming, this war between Israel and Hamas, and that it will inevitably end in the death of all of the non-believers. But aside from what you were speaking about
1: with regards to Israel... As an aside, I don't mean to jump in. Let's also remember that Israel doesn't even have a constitution. America does. As you said it a few minutes ago, our military leaders swear an oath to the United States Constitution, not to an autocrat or a demogra- you know, a, a, a demagogue uh, leader like like a Trump or someone like that, but to the U.S. Constitution, not to the weaponized version of the Gospel of Jesus Christ as interpreted in the New Testament. And um, but remember, we have over nine hundred people that work here, paid and volunteer. Like many civil rights organizations, we have many volunteers. We have military. Uh, we have representatives from the Military Religious Freedom Foundation on most military installations scattered around the world, and um, it's um, um, about eighty-four percent of our staff are also Christians. We represent a little more than eighteen percent of all Muslims in the U.S. military and active duty that we're aware of. Of course, we represent hundreds of Jews and uh, um, Hindus and Buddhists, Bahai. Uh, we actually have 12, 13 13 members of the um, the Church of the Jedi right out of Star Wars, we don't care if they worship Spider-Man. We only care about the time, Kalia, the place and the manner in which a military superior believes that they have the right to deploy their faith or, or non-faith. I'll let you know this as soon as we find an agnostic, Baha'i, Unitarian Universalist or atheist um, that is pushing their faith on a subordinate. You got. I wouldn't hold your breath. Because our number one enemy, again, our Christian nationalists, come Dominionists, come NAR, come uh, Seven Mountains Mandate.
0: Well, earlier you mentioned uh, retired Colonel Larry Wilkerson, who we've had on the show several times. And as you said, he's a board member of the MRFF.
1: He's on our advisory board and one of my closest friends and associates. I don't know if you know how he he joined our advisory board. um, One of my dearest friends was... um, was killed in the attack on Benghazi, uh, one of the two Navy SEALs, and was killed there. And um, we wanted to replace him. And uh, we, uh, the late ambassador, Joe Wilson, married to the uh, the outed CIA agent that we played they're both very dear, dear friends, um, Joe was on my board. And we he reached out to Larry, and it took about six months for us to be able to convince Larry what was going on. He looked at him and went, you know what, I've seen enough, I'm there. So he's been with us for many years. And he's, you know, one of the most knowledgeable people that I know. So I'm delighted that he's been on the show um uh as many times as he has been. I think this is my second or third, but I always enjoy being on the show.
0: Well, I, I think he has mentioned in various interviews that I've seen at least that he doesn't think the Biden administration is really doing enough to crack down on the spread of Christian nationalism in the They're military.
1: Not. They're not.
0: So I do wonder um, what is more important for lawmakers right now. I mean, they seem to be so focused, hyper-focused on white supremacy, but it seems like that's more politically expedient for them to focus on that issue rather than to tackle the issue of Christian nationalism.
1: Let, let me let me tell you what the, the 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 situation basically is. Years ago, we actually hired a lobbyist. Many years ago, um, she worked for us for a year. Then she fired herself after a year because she said, "Mikey, on Capitol Hill, you know, there's." There's an old saying: Under Republicans, man exploits man. A little sexist. It should be people exploit people. But under Democrats, it's just the opposite. Do you get it? You know. So she said nobody wants to touch this. You know. We'll talk about sexual assault and we'll talk about white supremacy. You can't mention Jesus because that they get too scared they're going to lose. You know, uh, uh, evangelical Christian money and evangelical votes. And the irony is, is that evangelicals are our friends. They're on our staff. Their clients of ours, they donate to us. It's the fundamentalists, the ones that believe that they can. Um, I'm, I presume you probably have a driver's license. Am I correct about that?
0: Uh, I actually don't have a full driver's license. Okay, you're the first person i rely person on public transport. Used. Okay,
1: <laughs> you you get the analogy. I mean, I'm going with the analogy here. And let's presume you, that hypothetically that Talia had a driver's license, but if you do, you can drive the car anywhere, anytime, any place, right? No, you can't drive drunk or stoned, or if you're too tired. So there's and you just like you can't scream you know, tally up, fire in a crowded theater. You can't follow the Great Commission. One of the last things Jesus is supposed to have said to his disciples, you know, Mark sixteen fifteen, Matthew twenty eight nineteen. go and make disciples of all nations. You can't do that in a time, place, and manner that violates the U.S. Constitution. It's concerning federal case law, the directives, instructions, and regulations of the um, U.S. Department of Defense, and the Uniform Code of Military Justice, as well as the um, core values of the military. So uh, uh, with what we're seeing, the Biden administration, they don't want to touch it. Obama didn't either. They're afraid to say the only people that I know that people like Elizabeth Warren would touch it or Bernie Sanders. They're afraid to say what needs to be said. And um, again, they're concerned about the way our democracy is messy. I get it. Um, But I'm not running. I have a son who's a member of the uh, House of Representatives in Ohio. But I'm I'm not a politician. I'm a civil rights advocate. My job is to not be the pearl in the oyster. No. My job is to be the irritant in the oyster that causes the pearl to form. So we are aggressive and we are militant, but our militancy and aggression is in support of the, the constitutional mandate of separating church and state, temporal, spiritual. Uh, and that's what it is. That's why I mentioned, Glenn Doherty, who was that Navy SEAL killed in um, the attack and Benghazi in, in Libya. Uh, it he was the one because he, you know, he died, and I just spoke with him a couple, three days before this happened. Um, that eventually Larry Wilgerson replaced on our board, but Le, but but Glenn was the first one that told me, Mikey, this is. He was an Irish Catholic kid from Boston. He said, "You got to step up your aggression because we see more of this type of dominionism or Christian nationalism the closer you get to the point of the spear drawing blood. The Navy SEALs, the Army Rangers, the Green Berets, the Marine Corps Raiders, the Air Force PJs." The closer you are to drawing enemy blood, the more you're going to see this dominionism. And it has no place, no place in our U.S. military. We're talking about people's lives. It's not political, it's not religious, it's much bigger than that. It's life. We are not a Christian nation. We are a secular democratic republic. We have a constitution. And we have case law that construes that. Without becoming a, the rule of law, we are nothing. And, uh, uh, and people need to understand that the bloodbath that occurred on October 7th, 2023, in those Kibbutzim and other places in Israel from Hamas, the story is never one-sided, as hideous as it is. But at the same time, organizations that commit war crimes must be brought to justice. Uh, Ukraine. The Ukraine is clearly saying that Putin is a war criminal. We use that term very, very easily. But um, it'd be nice, you know, if Biden as the commander in chief, commander in chief made it clear that we're not going to judge the value, honesty, integrity, courage and bravery of a member of the military based on whether or not they have the correct interpretation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that is there's no difference between that, Talia, and telling someone that they're stupid because of the color of their skin or because they were born a woman. Right.
0: So another criticism of Colonel Larry Wilkerson about the current U.S. military is that it's an all-volunteer military, which means there's no draft. And in 1918, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that a draft or, or conscription is constitutional. So I'm just wondering, not really from a legal perspective, but maybe from sort of moral perspective, would you say it would be right to reintroduce conscription in order to to avoid some of the problems that the military has today where it's not properly vetting the people who are volunteering to join because they just need to fill the ranks?
1: Larry is brilliant and he works with some other people. I, wa- I want to make sure I can pronounce the name of the retired General Lake at this built L.A.I.C.H. He's written a book about this. Uh, in fact, it came out um, in it, the article that came out today. I'm not sure when this is going to air from Religion Unplugged. The draft went away, I think, in 1972. It might have been 73. I think it was 72. And at least when we had a draft, we were pulling people, sometimes involuntarily, right, into the military um, with some degree of equanimity from what we now refer to as blue and red states. With the disappearance of the uh, the draft, almost immediately we saw a huge change from the so-called, volunteer. And, and as Larry will say, we don't have an all-volunteer force We have an all-recruited force. We are recruiting people to come in, but far, far more people coming in from red states than blue states, which means far more people are going to be coming in with—it's just the way it is in red states—with more bigotries and hatreds, and certainly um, uh, that would include uh, the sense of fundamentalist Christian triumphalism that is attended—again, I use the term the hellscape—of Christian nationalism. Of course, we're going to see that. And we see it more and more and more. Right now, um, the uh, over 80% of the US military chaplaincy are evangelicals, which as I mentioned by itself is fine. But about a third of them are fundamentalist Christian nationalists and they wear military rank. At least they're just chaplains. But we see it all the time among commanders. And uh, as I said before, you can't fight back if your commander's doing this to you. It's uh, the way that the you uniform know, code of military justice is structured you know, insubordination is a felony. The And, you know, you can have an affair and work at Costco and it's okay. Or at McDonald's, you know, ethically or or, or, uh, or morally, I'll leave that to, you know, to, to someone else to judge. But in the military, if it's destructive, uh, that's the Parker versus Levy, 1974 U.S. Supreme Court case. It was a six to two decision. Somebody didn't vote, I don't know. But it was, um, um, made it very clear that in the First Amendment, when you, you know, your First Amendment rights, when you put the uniform on, are severely constricted because that is not the compelling governmental interest. But unless you enforce it, I mean, the Romans used to cut off heads and stick them on poles for the whole populace to see. Well, obviously, we don't do that anymore. But we need to see somebody punished for fundamentalist Christian bullying, oppression, tyranny, um, and uh, and hate. Uh, I felt it myself when I was a cadet at the U.S. Air Force Academy. My children at the U.S. Air Force Academy felt it. I assure you that you, cadets at the academy now are still feeling it, and members of the military all over the uh, all over station, all over the American Empire, are dealing with it. And it's not easy to do that, which is why we're still we're in business. I wish we were not. Um, I wish that when my kids were going through it, there was a when I went through it, there was a place like this uh, to fight back. Um, there's only two types of kryptonite that the military is afraid of. The first is being dragged into federal court. The other one is bad bad press. We're doing it right now. They're going to hate this interview, and we're going to make sure they see it because we have all their email addresses. So they're going to see your face, Talia, and they're going to see mine for the umpteenth time, and they have professional PR staff that will try to figure out how to counter this, either quietly or whatever. But it's, um, um, again, when you mix in the jet fuel that animated January 6, 2021, which is Fundamentals Christian Nationalism, with um, our hydrogen and atomic nuclear stockpile, it, it is terrifying. And um, uh, if, if, you know, I ask your your readers out there, two of our biggest stories, just Google Christian uh, Jesus nukes and Jesus rifles. Don't have time to go into all of it here. Jesus rifles, you can Google, and Jesus nukes. But, you know, we've gone through this for many, we're, we're doing this for the better part of 20 years now. And um, it never stops, ever stops. It's not stopping during this interview. I'm looking at client requests coming in right now, mixed in with what I'm sure are going to be some threats. We get a bunch of those as well. But you know, this in this business, you cannot uh, be cowed by that. You have to, you have to keep going. Uh, and it's not going It's not easy, but you have to keep going. I was um, recently I saw that uh, some Republican members of the Congress were crying because they were getting bad voicemails. Uh, because they weren't supporting Jim Jordan to be the Speaker of the House. Some of our staff and some of our supporters didn't laugh at it, but just said, what, the, what, what, what is showing up on those voicemails compared to the usual stuff we get is minimal," you know. Uh, and so uh, this it's the nature of this type of fight, unless you're prepared uh, to, um, to go for it all, and you have to do that. And so most of our clients are younger members of the military, the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, Uh, the Space Force, the U.S. Coast Guard, the U.S. Maritime Service, um, younger officers, younger enlisted. But we have them up to the the four-star admiral and general level and senior executive service uh, Schedule C political appointees. This might surprise you, Talia, so put on your seatbelt, please, but um, shoulder harness. But it's not all unusual for a senior ranking general or admiral to call us and tell us what's happening in his or her own organization and have us blow it up so that they don't take the flack for doing it themselves. They can say, what? This is going on? I had no idea. I try that one on for size. We're not a line item in the government budget. We're a non-profit. Uh, and uh, we don't ever scold anyone for doing that because they feel they can come to us and then we'll blow something up in their own command because they are afraid um, and they are um, terrified, actually, frightened to be the first ones to do it. They'd rather react to us doing it than announcing it themselves. Do you understand how petrifying that is for national security and our national events?
0: It's a big issue. And I think there are a lot of people who are trying to prevent the work that you're doing. Recently in June, this past summer, Representative Mike Turner, a Republican from Ohio who's on the House Armed Services Committee, he introduced an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act which was passed and i think something like 886 billion dollars was approved for the for the defense budget but he just quietly introduced this amendment to prevent people in the military from speaking or seeking counsel from the MRFF and my question is how did this even happen without the democrats raising any sort of issue about this or Like, how did they even vote for this?
1: When we first found out about it, we thought it was uh, a sarcasm in the, you know, the onion, the famous, you know, sarcasm um, news outlet, news outlet. Um, Mike Turner uh, represents the Dayton, Ohio area. About seven years ago. We blew him up because um, we were successful in getting a Christian Bible removed from a POW MIA display uh, at Wright Patterson Air Force Base in his district where my kids have been stationed in Dayton, Ohio. And he never forgot that. Even seven years ago, we have him on video saying we may have to seek a legislative solution against the MRFF. Never in the history of America and, and our Congress has a civil rights organization been put in a, put into a situation of assassination by legislation. They uh, they've never did that to Planned Parenthood. They've never done that to the ACLU. They didn't do it to Black Lives Matter. So we'll wear it as a badge of courage that they're so afraid of us that they're trying to literally make it a felony for anyone in the military to reach out for help and for anyone in the military to even pick up our phone calls. Uh, If that isn't stopped in the Democrats, as I said before, uh, we know some of them on the House Armed Services Committee, cowards like Gabe Vasquez, who's a junior uh, member. He's been in the House for like seven months or eight months from New Mexico. Uh, Turned out he voted for it. He had his staff work with us for two weeks until it went to the entire House for a vote. And then I had a very famous outlet call me the day of the vote and said, can you give comment? Because Congressman Gabe Vasquez is one of the four or five Democrats that voted with the Republicans on this. I called him up and just said, hey, too, Brute or actually Gabe. I was disgusted, disgusted that someone would allow that, despite the fact that it shows as far as we're concerned. And this isn't narcissism, talia, it's necessity. That's how potent we are, how good we are at what we're doing. We win about 98 percent of the time. Most of our clients will not give us permission to go to the media. Most of our clients will not even write a thank you note. They're too terrified. They're going to be found out. Because when you try to stand up in in the U- U.S. military for your religious rights, do you know what you turn yourself into, Talia? A target. You turn yourself, Talia, into a tarantula on a wedding cake. You and I have both been to weddings. Tarantulas on a wedding cakes don't last very long. So um, that's uh, uh, we're still waiting with this carnage going on in the House of Representatives. They can't even elect a speaker. Um, And as you mentioned, the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 24, you know, the uh, the largest hunk of the uh, that's the largest hunk of the entire American budget is our war making machine. And they tried to bury that in there. Nobody wants to talk about it. We are doing our best to reach out to Democratic members of the Senate who will be on the conference committee. Uh, when they try to reconcile this with uh, the House, but we don't trust that it'll it'll uh, it'll be put uh, be taken out before it goes to Biden, and we don't trust Biden to use his line item veto uh, veto rather to um, eliminate it. So we've prepared a strike team. I'm a member of the uh, the bar in the uh, District of Columbia, and I'll be on that strike team to go right into federal district court because it is absolutely a poster child, prima facie example of what's called a bill of attainder. Uh, you're not allowed. Congress is not allowed to pass an act incriminating anybody or any organization through legislation, and they know it's wrong. But these are Make America Great, you know. These are MAGA, uh, right wing uh, Republican. I'll use the term. I'll drop it. Nazis, fascists, and Nazis. You can talk to Colonel Wilkerson about it. Let's just call it what it is. Uh, so, um, while at the, the, the same time that we've had people, you know, you should see our email traffic and the stuff that comes out on the website. With the number of threats we get and the people cheering for this legislation, if we can't stop it in conference, as I said before, we have no confidence that Joe Biden will even be aware of it enough to try to strike it out. But um, it's um, it's as illegal as making it clear that uh, if they stuck something in that act, making it a, a felony if you used chewing gum, I'm telling you. But getting it out, um, so we'll keep fighting. But as I said before, we'll view it as a, as an accomplishment that. Uh, when you have I often think in um human beings, if I can wax philosophical for fifteen seconds, our human beings are better defined by who their enemies are than by who their friends are. If our enemies are the people that stormed the castle on January 6th, the people like Mike Turner, or the people like Marjorie Taylor Green, who was she's not even on the House Armed Services Committee, but when he was the uh uh the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, put her on this conference committee on this exact NDAA bill. Um, if these are your enemies, you're doing okay. And um, so, I don't know what more I can say about that.
0: Well, it's funny that we're speaking about the the Speaker of the House since today Trump said something like the only guaranteed speaker would probably be Jesus. And Correct. Let's I hold, heard that. Not a and dominionist Jesus who would uh, take that position because you know, that what listen, would be that's...
1: happening. Uh, I don't I don't uh, ascribe any intelligence to Trump. I think he's been emoting or emitting, I should say, not emoting, emitting the same energy since he was an 18 month old. I think besides being cowardly and uneducated uh, uh, that, you know, he's um, um he's an he's an imbecile. But this bandwidth, frequency bandwidth he put out resonated with people so they didn't have to hide their bigotry, prejudice, and hatred so much anymore. So I heard that when he said probably the only person that could become speaker, Jesus could do it, because he just said the name Jesus, and that's all they want to hear. I got a, a, just a few minutes before he came on the air uh, today, I got, um, let me see if I can even find the email for you. This one came in from, uh, this is very typical. If you'll bear with me for a second, see if I can find it. Um, it just said, uh, it, it, it you know gave its usual cussing at me. And then uh, referred to the fact that, um, uh, Mikey, please point out Jewish influence in writings during the early formation of our country and after the establishment of of our republic. How many Jews worked on or influenced inside the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights? Give me some examples of Jewish influence because we, praise God, the United States of America, a republic, was founded as a true Christian nation. So, as I said before, my, on my job, I'm not there to educate this person. All we can rely upon is something that we have called a constitution and the rule of law. So uh, I'm not going to. I did have a few choice uh, things tally to say back to this person and others who are out there. We do. Uh, we do not remain silent. We don't turn the cheek very well. But that kind of an attitude is pervasive. And and it. Uh, I want to say one more thing. When you say fundamentals, Christian nationalism or slash dominionism or the other varieties of it, the NAR, New Apostolic Reformation, seven Mountain Mandate. We view that as a mothership circulating, the, circling, uh, orbiting around the earth. But out of that, you find virulent Islamophobia, virulent anti-Semitism, virulent misogyny, hatred of LGBTQIA+, and a real hatred of the Constitution, because they want that subordinated uh, to the supremacy of their weaponized version of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, I and our foundation get accused every second of every day of eating Christians for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. But of course, as I mentioned, most of our staff, most of our clients are Christians. Half of my own family is Christian. That isn't the point. As I said before, we only care about the time, place, and manner in which someone feels they have the right to deploy their faith. And so, um, but they can't accept that. My last name is a Jewish surname, right? It's Weinstein. I'm not a plumber, I'm a lawyer. You put lawyer together with a Jewish last name, and look at all the trouble that I've made for the last fifth of a century. I'm a bad man leading a bad organization because I must be doing, I I, I must really, 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 really hate Jesus, and I'm certainly uh, working, uh, you know, totally with my best buddy and college roommate Satan. You know, I can go, on, I can go on and on. Um, he's dead now, but Jerry Falwell, if you remember who he was, uh, referred to me as the field general of the godless armies of Satan, and they used to put my picture up on these jumbotrons at these fundamentalist churches around the country with that underneath it. Um, So I think that's part of the reason that we've had the windows shot out of our house on more than one occasion. We've had innocent animals beheaded and disemboweled and left on the front of our house. We've had swastikas and crosses painted on the house, beer bottles and feces thrown at the house, tires slashed, and we have to live with bodyguards and elite level attack trained German shepherds, a lot of guns and a lot of cameras. Um, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that that is what is necessary if you're going to be an effective advocate um, for the members of our military, most of whom are Christians themselves, who are trying to defend themselves from the onslaught that otherwise they could not defend themselves from, of fundamentalist Christianity, tell you.
0: Well, you're defending re- religious freedom and fighting the onslaught of people like Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who would advocate the church controlling the government and not You know, there being some sort of separation between the state and the church. So these are really tricky issues, which obviously permeate, permeate rather, all facets of U.S. society. And as you point out, you know, if it's in the military where people have control over nuclear weapons, then it really is a big deal. But even beyond that.
1: yes, and that's why I said if you if you Google Jesus nukes, you'll see the way I think was 68 U.S. Air Force nuclear, nuclear, nuclear missile launch officers. The ones who launched the nukes made it clear to us that they were being trained by what they called the Jesus nukes. Um, PowerPoint. We got it under the Freedom of Information Act, which made it clear that Jesus wants you to launch those nukes. We, it was it was a PowerPoint filled with um, citations from uh, the New Testament, and the la- one of the last frames of the PowerPoint showed uh, a you know an SS officer Werner von Braun, their rocket scientist, saying that the Nazis wanted to bring their advanced rocket technology to a Bible-based society. So that's why they wouldn't go to the Soviet Union. Of course, a bunch of them went there anyway. It was so vile, we stopped the training within, I think, 48 hours. The Air Force admitted they'd been using it for 20 years at Vandenberg Air Force Base in California, where they trained the nuclear missile launch officers. And coincidentally, where I went to high school, my dad was stationed there. And uh, it was actually 25 years. Jesus rifles every single rifle in the U.S. military. Had inscribed into the um, burned into the metal base of the scopes citations from the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Revelation. Trigicon, a defense contractor located in Michigan, the TRI obviously which stands for Trinity, got a two billion dollar contract from the Pentagon to make these rifle scopes. Guys, and, and then we had one hundred and thirty eight um, U.S. Marines and soldiers in Helmand Province, and our uh, and. Uh, Uh, Afghanistan come to us saying they were walking into the villages and even though 90% of Afghanistan hadn't even heard of 9-11, they heard of these Jesus rifles. You see the optics of American soldiers shooting Muslims with the biblical citations on there? There's an old saying that lawyers use called the 13th stroke theory, Talia. Talia, have you ever heard of the 13th stroke theory?
0: I don't think I've heard of that, no.
1: It's like the 13th stroke, Talia, of a crazy clock That casts doubt not only upon that hour, but indeed all that preceded. So if those are the things that we're finding, it's kind of like if you find a termite on your windowsill, the chances that there aren't also millions of other termites in your home are exactly zero. So um, those are two of our, you know, we've we've, we've had 85,000 plus stories out there. We have new stories that will be breaking in the next 24 hours. Uh, And um, it is only through the utilization of, journalists and the media just like here in analysis um that we can fight back most effectively as i said before this interview is going to go directly to the to the gatekeepers of these senior people in the pentagon and much wider than that and i hope they won't be intimidated when they see how long the interview is most of them are they want to sit down and watch all of it the good people go see we told you and the bad people say see we told you how bad this person is um clearly he's he wakes up each morning and gets his to-do list from uh, Mephistopheles, the deaf
0: And just to add to the presentation you were speaking about, I think that was from 2011. And around that time, Obama's military advisor or general was explicitly speaking out against Islam and critiquing it as some sort of, you know, terrorist religion. But this is, you know, this is a public figure saying these sorts of things.
1: Well, there was uh, General Jerry Boykin, of course, who uh, the famous black, Black Hawk Down situation. He was the general in charge. Of that he was a ranger. He's now the number two person at, at um, the Family Research Council, an absolute right wing fundamentalist Christian maniac. Mike Flynn, who of course was uh, the head of the National Security Administration, or the and the, I think the, the DIA, I guess actually, uh, one of one of the big um, intelligence agencies. I should also say we have clients from all seventeen National Security agencies, and um, you know Mike Flynn is is involved in the QAnon movement. Is a complete right wing fundamentalist Christian just like General Jerry Boykin. um, It shouldn't be that hard. What we need is for some of these people to be criminally prosecuted and to be thrown into jail. So someone can say, see, it can happen, because it's never, ever happened. We threaten it or they'll, we're like, it's like a weed whacker, we can get them punished, but the weeds come back 10 days later. We have to punish them all over again, because people are afraid of the criticism of being anti-Christian or anti-Jesus and um even if you give them all the facts it, it doesn't matter i mean there there have been you know double blind scientific studies shown that if somebody believes that the squirrel in the tree on their backyard actually is controlling the world you can give them an immense amount of information showing that that's impossible but the more specific information you give them showing them that the squirrel is not running the world it only hardens their belief that that squirrel is running the world this is the nature of human beings it's um It's difficult.
0: That's really great. It's been a great conversation. Well, thank you so much for making time, Mikey Weinstein, the founder of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation.
1: Thanks so much. Can I put one plug in? I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to throw one plug in, which is um, if you want to support what we do, um, we uh, don't really need any more volunteers, but you can go to militaryreligiousfreedom.org and see what we're about if you want to help the effort. We're a nonprofit. You get a tax deduction and we don't run on chocolate sauce so we can use the help, but we're a nonprofit uh, NGO, as discussed earlier by Talia, a non-government organization. I apologize for interrupting Talia. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: No worries. Yeah, please do support the MRFF. And if you're also so inclined to support the show, if you like the show, feel free to go to theanalysis.news and donate by hitting the red button at the top right corner of the screen and see you next time.